homily today comes from just two verses in James. James chapter 4, starting at verse 11 and 12. And I am going to read that right now as we begin. James 4, 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? Do you know that generally we believe that people whose faces have high inner eyebrows and prominent cheekbones are more trustworthy? Researchers found this to be true. So if you don't have high inner eyebrows, whatever that means, or lovely cheekbones, you are considered less trustworthy. A few years ago, there was another study published in the Journal of Neuroscience by researchers at Dartmouth and NYU. And in this study, they showed a group of participants photos of faces of actual people, as well as computer-generated faces that were meant to look either trustworthy or untrustworthy. While the participants looked at the pictures, their brains were being scanned for activity. The scientists showed each face for only 30 milliseconds, very, very short. And then they did something called backward masking, meaning they showed them an image right afterwards that was completely irrelevant, that masked the first image that they saw. In other words, the participant couldn't verbally tell you the face they saw because their brain wasn't capable of processing the face in such a way they gave them words about it. Here was what was interesting. Although the participants were not able to know the faces that they saw, their brains did. So while they were scanning them, their amygdala was lighting up every time they saw the 30 milliseconds of the face uh, in the picture. Now, the amygdala is the part of the brain that makes judgments about whether or not a person is trustworthy based on their face. So researchers concluded that our brains make judgments of people before we can even process who they are or can say what they look like. Now, this is important because other research has found that we decide in a matter of seconds of meeting people whether they are trustworthy or not. And this has huge ramifications for job interviews, first dates, witnesses to crime, and most of life. Now, here's my take on it as your pastor. We are predestined to judge even before we understand consciously what is happening around us. This can be bad news indeed. Because it's hard enough not to judge others without our brains giving us a head start on the job. James has been talking about the tongue. He says that it's a fire that sets ablaze whole forests of trees. He has condemned hurtful speech and the heart attitude behind it. The church that he's speaking to is full of quarreling and broken relationships. There was not much restraint or wisdom. And James is telling them plainly, listen, you have to change. 
The Bible has a lot to say about how we are supposed to treat one another as people of God. Repeatedly, the scriptures denounce speaking evil against God and others, and we should listen to that. If we put it in common vernacular, we might say, we're not supposed to talk trash about each other. We're not supposed to badmouth anyone. We're not supposed to criticize those with whom we share life. We're not supposed to make snarky comments to tell them what we really think about them or about them behind their back. That's what James is saying here. To speak evil is to speak harshly or to slander someone. This week in senior lunch, we talked about slander because we were studying the ninth commandment which prohibits giving false testimony against one's neighbor. This command against slander has two ideas. One is that we are forbidden to intentionally speak that which is untrue. In other words, God says, don't lie. But second, we are not to speak a lie about our neighbor. And by the time the Israelites got to the promised land, it also meant that we should not talk about them in a judgmental way. Now, Paul lists slander with the sins that are characteristics of those who still live against God, those who are pagan. And in Romans and uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, slander is used in connection with gossip, a practice most of us engage in with delight without even thinking much about it. One commitment that I try to live by, although I sometimes fail miserably, is how the person would feel if they were actually sitting in the room while I was talking about them. Would it be okay with them if I were to tell the story that I am telling? Would my representation of their truth be something that they would agree with and something that they would want the person I am with to know? If our conversation about another person would make them feel embarrassed or defensive or exposed or angry or ashamed, does it really need to be said? Slander, of course, means that we are to never defame another person's name or reputation by lying about them. Our society recognizes the importance of this command. Many societies do, so it's illegal to slander someone in this country. But we have to remember that just because a fact is true, even if it's not a lie, if it's true, it doesn't give us the right to say it. James is talking about judging one another here. The problem with judging is that it can ruin how others see the person that you're talking about. It can cause rifts in relationships. It affects how people feel about themselves. It's not how the community of Jesus is supposed to live. And judging is wrong because of what it reveals about our own hearts. Engaged in tearing someone down. Because God loves those people as much as he loves us. Humility is absent when we make ourselves the judge. So there are four reminders from James that I want us to think about here. First, he reminds them that they are family, brothers and sisters together. We may have come from a family system which was mean or judgmental, but we can't bring that into the family of God. 
Because the family of God operates in a different way. Love for each other and a humble spirit is the basis of how we are to act. All of us are equal with Christ as the head. Second, the law is meant to be obeyed. When we judge one another, we put ourselves above the law, breaking it as if it doesn't matter and isn't something we need to live by. James is calling out the careless way we disregard God's word. Actively judging others is judging the law. James says, are you a doer of the law or a judge of it? When we do what he specifically tells us not to do, we are at fault. Third, God is the one who gives the law. He is the ultimate judge and authority. His commands aren't separate from him. His commands are his idea. He is the power behind them. The law is an expression of who he is, given so that we might be remade in his image. John Stott says, for us to take up the position of judges to elbow God off the throne, only he can judge. Lastly, James tells us to think about who we are in all of this. Who are you, he says. Who do you think you are? Might be a better way to say it, to judge your neighbor. The brain is ahead of our mouths in processing for a good reason. We have to be able to make decisions about who we can trust, sometimes in a split second. Our brains are helping us in enormous ways to figure out what our next action should be. However, sometimes we use our higher level thinking to act as if we understand everything clearly. And in our rush to judgment, based on our very limited information and our very biased viewpoint, we can say terrible things about the people that God has given us to journey with in this life. James asks us who we are to judge our neighbor. He is reminding us that we're not better than anyone else in the world. Our job is to love, not to live as though we are the standard for everyone around us, some of whom we think are falling very short. There's an aspect of trust here in God that we should examine if we are being judgmental in our lives. To trust others to him and to pray for them instead of criticizing them. To trust him for our wandering heart. Asking forgiveness for our bad attitudes which lead to our mean words. To turn our focus off of others and instead look to the Lord who has so much more for us in that moment and in this life. As we take communion, it's good to ask what our words have done to people in our lives. Those in our family, those that we work with, those that we go to school with, those in our neighborhood, and what those words are doing to our heart. Christ's death for our sin should make us aware of our shortcomings, so we treat one another with the utmost grace and kindness, because that is always how God treats us. So let us come forward with great trust in the Lord who saves us. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.